The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We haven't exactly ignored baseball of late. We've just been more focused on the um, Stanley Cup playoffs yeah. and a little on the NBA too, because yeah. they're in there. Um, and and baseball's not going away, Bob. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we, we we've got a few. We'll have all summer to talk about exactly. baseball, but we're we're gonna take today and do that. Our friend Shai Davidi of Sportsnet will join us, and we'll chat a bit because it's been a while. We'll chat about the Blue Jays and where they're at and what they like and what they don't like. Um, Shai Davidi, when we come back after these messages. Uh, welcome back. Bob McCowan, John Shannon with you uh, again today. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet joins us. Uh, here's something that is I, I can't explain, and I, I, I suspect you can't either, but there is some truth to this. Um, as long as I've been watching baseball, which is my entire life, um, something strange seems to happen on a regular basis. You don't get hitting, but you get pitching. And you go through this stretch of games that are 3-2, 2-1, whatever. And then all of a sudden, the hitting comes around, and the pitching backs off. And that is exactly what has happened here with this Toronto Blue Jay team. But I suspect nobody in the Blue Jay front office is complaining about it. What do you think? <laughs> Well, I'd say that that's a great rule of thumb. And then the one exception that I can really think of was that uh, second half after the trade deadline in 2015, where the Blue Jays went, was it 41 and 18 or whatever it was? And, and well, they, they were went, getting everything all together. Yeah, they went berserk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a one stretch where I can think like everything fell right. into a place for the for a Blue Jays team. But, you know, for the most part, it doesn't seem to happen. Uh, like this has been a, a weird start to the season for the Blue Jays because, you know, they get this unreal pitching, especially starting pitching in the early going. And then the offense is just completely uh, just, you know, hollow batted. And then, you know, over the past couple of weeks, you know, they, they've started hitting the ball really well. And, uh, you know, it's been a, a bit of a tight wire act. And, you know, I think that the great irony uh, and Charlie Montoya was saying this after the game, uh, when was that Sunday in Anaheim is like, we scored 11 runs and we're still in a one run ball game. <laughs> I think that that's kind of been the, the, the mantra for the Blue Jays a little bit, but I think some of this is starting to normalize and they're starting to look a little bit more like the club that we expected. And we'll see how that progresses in the coming weeks. The one thing I wonder about is whether pitchers, do they, do you think pitchers pitch to the score to some extent or catchers call pitches to the score more specifically. In other words, you're up by a bunch of runs. What you don't want to do is walk people. Right. And so you tend to be a little bit more fine. Well, not a little bit more fine. You tend to look for the middle of the plate more, maybe throw a few more fastballs. Do you buy into that? I think there are times where that holds true. The one thing, the way the game is played, uh, you know, or at least been played in recent years, and we'll see what the, uh, the, the, the different ball, whether that impacts things. Um, but, you know, you can't take big leads for granted. Like you see, you know, five, Obviously. six, one comebacks fairly regularly at this point, right? And that's, that's part of the mentality. You know, you know, Gabe Kapler took a lot of heat uh, early in the season where he was saying, you know, we're just going to keep playing to the score. Um, and, you know, I know that, you know, a couple teams that the Blue Jays have faced, you know, uh, you know, one you know one manager told uh, told the Blue Jays, "Hey, it's like if you guys aren't gonna hold our runners when we're up big, we're just gonna take bases uh, because we're gonna keep playing to score runs." So, you know, I think this is some of that has changed a little bit. Where you know, big leads don't feel as safe as they used to, and I think uh, you know this is in spite of the fact that you have like dudes throwing ninety eight out coming out of every bullpen. 
but at the same token, yeah, I think there are times where, you know, if you're up by three or four, uh, you've got a, a reliever out there who's nibbling on the corners, you know, a lot, a lot of teammates are going to go, Hey, what are you doing? Get in mm-hmm. that zone, start attacking. Yeah. <laughs> we were joking uh, yesterday, shy that, uh, this new hitting rate, uh, attack, uh, has started with the catchers. When you think about uh, Jansen in St. Louis and then Kirk on Tuesday night, uh, this latest streak, I mean, we were looking for guys like Vladdy and Bichette to, to start this whole barrage of home runs, and it's the guys behind the plate that have done it. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. And, you know, I think really that's what, in a sense, needed to happen. Because, you know, even though they haven't, sort of on their sort of patented streaks. And you know, I think if you're the Blue Jays, that bodes well for you because you're still, you know that Vlad and Bo are still going to get their numbers. So you know that that's still coming, but they needed some balance. So it wasn't just, you know, waiting for Springer, Bichette and, and Guerrero to come up to do the damage. And, you know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has been terrific too. Uh, he had a huge weekend in Anaheim, he was a big part of what happened there. Right. Uh, you know, you know, Kirk very much so as well, Jansen. And they needed just that extension of the lineup. And, you know, one thing that I've thought has been something to keep an eye on all year is the number of plate appearances that George Springer gets with runners in scoring position. And, you know, earlier this week, you know, I haven't checked it in the last couple of days, but earlier this week, he was fifth on the team. That's not what you want. You want him you know, close to the top because he's been one of their top, if not their top RBI producer all year. So he needs those, those opportunities. And that's why the bottom of the lineup matters so much. And I think you're seeing that diversity, you're seeing it turnover, you're seeing it creating opportunities for Springer, Guerrero, Bichette. And that's when this offense really starts taking off. Well, that's a very interesting point. I, I don't disagree with you. Obviously the, the evidence is, you know, statistical, it's not theoretical, but it always raises the question with me. I, I like Springer as the leadoff hitter. He mm. did that in Houston. He's comfortable there. You want him to have as many at-bats as you can. But on the other hand, he is such an effective hitter, makes contact very regularly, hits the ball hard a lot, and could be, well, I don't know about the top RBI guy on this club, but it raises the question of whether he's best in the leadoff spot or would you rather have him even fourth, maybe fifth in the, in the lineup? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I, I thought about it and I've talked about it with several people and there's no, there's no bad answer to this, right? Because he's super effective in the leadoff role and as the catalyst and, you know, he, he, he can drive himself in and he can create for the guys behind him. And it's an it's a it's a tough at bat for a pitcher right out of the gate, and yeah, he's going to get extra plate appearances. So he's coming up in the eighth or the ninth inning in those close games at a at a time where he can make a difference. So you so you really like him in that spot, uh, you know. I just I think that if you're really fully leveraging him, you need somebody with a higher OBP in you know the ninth spot. In, in some ways, I, I think Kevin Biggio would almost be ideal once he gets really gets going you have a guy like him in the ninth spot who's getting on base and that's setting the table for George, you know, that's, that's a good situation to be in. So uh, I think that there are sort of, there are good arguments on both ways. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer, but as long as you're going to keep George Springer in the leadoff spot, you're not going to be fully leveraging him unless you have some OBP in the bottom of your lineup. Well, what about so, moving Espinal? Because Espinal has let off a couple of times in the past week or 10 days. Do you think that's yeah. kind of what they're thinking? No, I don't. I think that's just a stopgap. And, you know, right now he's hitting the ball really well. He's done that really all season. Uh, and they're just trying to go with the hot hand and ride that out. You know, is Espinal you know, for, you know, in the longer term, you know, a two hole hitter or a one hole hitter or whatever the case is, I'm not sure. We still have to see a lot more evidence before we can kind of say that that's the guy we want getting those extra at bats. You know, I still think in the best world, it's some sort of Springer 
some sort of combination of Springer, Guerrero, Bichette, you know, uh, in one, two, three, because you want those guys up in those spots uh, with Teoscar Hernandez right behind them. So, uh, you know, I, I think that they're trying some different things right now, or they had been trying, especially uh, when the before the offense get going, anything to try and find a spark. Uh, now they found it a little bit, so that maybe negates some of the pressure there. So, and I'm 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 not being critical because I think everybody's thrilled with this guy. But is this now not a reflection on what Matt Chapman does at the plate? And, and, and because every, let's face it, everybody's in love with the arm. Everybody's in love with the defense. Everybody's in love with that part of the game. But his plate appearances have been less than spectacular. So I, I think the results have been less than spectacular. Okay. I think the plate appearances. If you look at sort of a lot of the objective evidence, you know, he's, you know, mid 90s percentile in exit velocity, uh, he's upper 90 percentile in uh, hard, uh, hard hit, uh, hard hit balls put in play. You know, there's there, there are a lot of signs that say this guy is hitting the ball much better than than he deserves. I can think of probably about five balls that he's hit to uh, the warning track or the wall that last year are for sure home runs that didn't happen this year because of the change in the ball. So, you know, I, I, I don't think, I don't think Chapman's the issue at all. You know, like I think if you look at him, even, even if he just, even if this is what he is and he's going to be like, you know, 300 OBP, you know, 450 slug and that excellent defense, you know, like sign me up, you know, like he, he's saving you a, a run or more a game. So anything he does with the bat in some ways is gravy. Uh, but I do think there's still going to be more there because, you know, the underlying data suggests that he's hit into a, a, a ton of bad luck and that he's going to get some better results for it. Well, I remember when, when he was acquired and we had this conversation um, and I think we came to an agreement that he's somewhere between a 220 and a 250 hitter. He's going to hit you 30 plus home runs. He's going to give you spectacular defense, and he's going to strike out a lot. That was his history with with Oakland. And the batting average was, you know, quite a bit below what you would hope. Um, but not that many, even seems to have dingers. turned around a little bit. There's hmm? not many dingers. What's he got, six or seven? Yeah, he's in that range. I think, honestly, I think of the guys who have been hurt by the ball, I, I – I can't think of anybody else on this team who's hit as many balls on the screws and just had them die. Like there was one at Yankee stadium when the, the Jays lost the two game series there, he drove one into the power alley left center. And like off the bat, I'm like, that is gone a hundred percent. And then it just, it, it's almost like it just fell off a cliff mm-hmm. and just dropped straight at the track. And, you know, so, someone I know in New York came up to me uh, and said, yeah, the only two the only two guys who are hitting the ball out over there are Judge and Stanton. Like, you know, nobody nobody is getting close there, um, and I think he's been hurt by by that. I, I'm not sure why. Uh, it's been him in particular. Maybe it's the sort of the launch angle and the trajectory that he's hitting balls with. Uh, but you know, I honestly I, I, I look at him and I think that there's a, there's at least one laser beam every game that he's either hitting right at somebody or is a good defensive play. Uh, and if a guy's hitting the ball hard, like then you're going to get results for it. You're not going to have you know bad luck all season long. I'm intrigued by this dead ball theory, and I don't dispute it in any way, shape, or form. Even though I'm not privy to, I don't think you are. Major League Baseball's testing facilities, but they exist. They have the ability. In golf, we see it all the time. You know, every manufacturer of golf equipment can test their golf ball, their clubs, um, the face of their drivers, and give you some kind of data on how far it goes. It's all part of the process. I assume Major League Baseball has just such a testing facility, and we know that they like offense in the Major League Baseball um, offices. They don't want 2-1 games. They like 11-10 games. How could this happen? Do you have any concept of this? Have you explored any of this? 
Well, I don't know. You want we can uh, we can put on our tinfoil hats with Michael Conforto and say, uh, you know, this is all about Major League Baseball trying to find ways to not pay hitters based on the upcoming free agent class. Well, it's possible, uh, I, I guess. I, I'll tell you what. I think there's. A, I don't have a definitive answer. I don't know that a lot of people do. Uh, it, it's very clear that there are. There, it is a different baseball. Uh, amongst the other things this year, I've never heard pitchers talk about how slippery a baseball is uh, more than this year. Um, guys talking about different seam heights, um, you know, the, the, the mudding on the ball being inconsistent from game to game, from ball to ball. Uh, there's just been a lot of things going on. The, 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 there, there's the humidors across the game this year as well that they're keeping the balls in. There are just a lot of different dynamics at play. And I think the frustration that I've heard from players is this, you know, give us a threshold of what the, what we want the ball to be. Right. It's just like every year it's something different. And like, you know, two years ago it was super juiced. And then it was in between, then there were two different sets of balls last year. And there was just, I, I think guys just want to know what's the range because we'll adapt to that, but just, it keeps changing all the time. And so you never hear this complaint. You don't hear guys in the NHL going, boy, the puck really uh, feels super light on my stick this year or still feels super heavy. You don't hear that in the NFL, like the football, oh, they're inflated different this year, uh, unless it's, uh, you know, the Patriots all those years ago. Um, and basketball, same thing. You don't hear this, but in well, baseball. They, they did. Remember, they actually, it's funny. They did have a problem with the basketball. Gosh, how many years ago, Bob? And they had to change. They tried to change and they had to change back. Yeah, it was the Spalding ball. And, That's right. right. Yeah. Right. But it, I mean, it's very rare. You don't have it being part of the conversation and the discourse every year. Um, and you, I don't think you have the range of variants. And, you know, like, I mean, the ball, it's literally in the name baseball. I mean, <laughs> you know, how can the most fundamental piece of equipment in the game fluctuate so widely every year? That that is what I hear from players. Just like, just tell us what it's supposed to be, and stop yo-yoing it between us, so that we don't know what we're getting every season. Well, I think I, I still think golf, the golf ball, is the is the best comparison. And the point of difference is every manufacturer of a golf ball wants to create a ball that, while legal, is barely legal and goes as far as possible. Major League Baseball doesn't have that objective necessarily. Um. So I don't know. I don't know where you go with this. And baseball doesn't have fifteen manufacturers either. No, they no. have one. They have right. one. And I think, look, a couple of years ago when it's like everybody was hitting home runs and it's just like you know those like lazy fly ball opposite field fly balls are suddenly clearing the wall. Everyone was like, "Whoa, this isn't right." And I think that was too far. But this year, like there are balls that you see that are legitimately barreled. You're like, "All right, he got all of that one. That should go." And that's not a home run. And so where's the happy medium there? I, you certainly want, you don't want to want like these balls that are killed caught at the warning track. Mm -hmm. Right. And you don't want those, you know, like can of corn fly balls that were suddenly clearing the wall. And so, you know, maybe there's been a bit of an overcorrection, you know, I'd be curious to see what the data says at season's end. You know, there are other, other theories that, you know, it's cold and, you know, expanded rosters. There's, there's all these other dynamics and layers that people have kind of figured into it. But I think at, at the core, no pun intended, you know, like th there is something different with the ball. And we're seeing that in the way that it's flying. Well, I'll tell you what drives me crazy. I mean, I grew up in an era where, I, you know, I played competitive baseball and the baseball was changed when it became too dirty to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Literally, that was the reason why they put a new baseball. Umpires would come to a game with three baseballs. And, and you, you played that ball until the umpire said, okay, it's, it's a, too dirty to see. Now, um, a bunt um, <laughs> that hits the, hits the dirt once and doesn't scuff it, doesn't do anything, and they, it's gone. Any, any ball that has been used essentially gets thrown out of the game. That wasn't the case. And I understand the reasons why. You don't want scuffing and you don't want pitchers to have that kind of advantage. 
But I, it's just gone. Has it not gone too far? Does it not drive you crazy? I mean, I mean, they must go through how many hundreds of baseballs do they go through in a game? Well, the other thing too. So, you know, I know, I know the Blue Jays have told their pitchers this, and I'm sure that other teams are doing it too, but they're telling the pitchers, Hey, if you can't get a good grip on the ball, just keep throwing it out until you get one that you can find a grip on. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I think there've been a few times like you've seen between innings on Manoa starts you know, or other pitchers out there, you know, Charlie Montoya going over to the umpire saying, hey, he's not trying to, you know, you know, be disrespectful. He's just really trying to find a grip and he's having an issue with that and just explaining it to the umpires so the umpires don't get cross about it. So there are a lot of elements there. But yeah, I mean, I've I've heard that from former players too, saying like, want the scuff ball. That's what you want. Like you get a ball that you have a good grip on. Keep it. Don't throw it out. Exactly. I, I, I've actually been amazed in the last few years how many times pitchers look at the ball, see a mark, and throw it back. And I, I, I've never understood that. That when, when I mean, don't they want as as many marks on a on a baseball or scuffs on a baseball that you can have to to create a hundred percent? Yeah, I, but I'm amazed how many times a pitcher has the the ball in his glove. He takes a look at it, tosses it back. Yeah, I mean. I, maybe if we're, if we're going back to sort of sticky stuff era, you know, it could just be, you know, you're worried about not being able to get the grip you want on the ball, yeah. right. Or control it the way you want. So, uh, you know, there, there's, there, there are definitely a lot of elements to that. Um, it, it's been, it's just, it's just, there are a lot of little intricacies and subtleties behind all this. Uh, and, you know, it, this isn't what, if you're major league baseball to get back to your original point, Bob, like this isn't what you want, right? Like you want people talking about the equipment every mm-hmm. year and having this, this be a bone oh, of contention, of uh, but, but it is, and it continues to be. And like, it seems like this is the most fundamental piece of equipment you have. Like, this is the one thing you have to get right. And that you can't be having this level of variance year to year. Uh, we want to get to uh, some other issues here. Uh, we're going to take the break and come back and talk about some individual players and some decisions that the Blue Jays have got to make as they uh, move forward. Shai Davidi is with us. We'll take the break, come back after these messages. I'm Bob McCowan. That's John Shannon and Shai Davidi of Sportsnet uh, joins us. We have talked a little bit about the catching and how, um, how well uh, Jansen and Kirk have both played both offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. The dilemma that you have is you have a kid who, and this is not the first time this has happened, but who you think might be the catcher for 10, 12 years. He has that kind of ability. Uh, his name is Gabe Marino. And he got off to a rough start in Buffalo this year, but the month of May, he hit like crazy. And he's not a, I've only seen bits and pieces of him, Shy. I don't know how much you've seen of him, but he's not really a stereotypical catcher. He's not huge. Uh, they say he's 5'11". He might be. He might not be. He can hit the ball. He has great bat control, but he doesn't have big power. And those are the kinds of things that usually you get with a catcher. He's big and he can hit it far, usually doesn't have a great batting average, but um, is good behind the plate. This guy is already starting to create and has well been creating for a while conversation about if and when. And now you're stuck with, well, you're not stuck with, but you're in a situation where your two catchers that you've got on the roster right now don't deserve to be shipped out, traded, or not play. Is there any danger in any of this, in Marino being forced to stay at Buffalo for an extended period of time? I mean, I, danger, I definitely, definitely don't think, I wouldn't call it danger. <laughs> I think this is, this is the problem that 29 other teams would love to have, right? Of course. It, especially in an era where offensive catching is really down. So uh, l- let's start talking about, let's start the, with Moreno. So uh, I've seen him play a handful of times. Uh, he's super impressive. Uh not, this isn't a direct comp, but he reminds me a little bit of Russell Martin in terms of his athleticism, the way that he moves, um, 
you know, so, some of the offensive profile is similar, although he, he's a bit more high contact, uh, a little bit less, uh, less plate discipline than, than Russ had. Uh, he's, he's got a chance to be really special. And there's a lot there that you look at, like we've said it a bunch of times about a bunch of different catchers, but I don't know that the, any of the Blue Jays have had a prospect catching prospect like this, um, who was going to stick behind the plate. You know, Delgado came up as a catcher, but I don't think they've had a catching prospect quite like this ever. So it's, it's a really intriguing situation. I would say that right now, the place the, that you least want to be inexperienced at, given where your team is, is catcher, right? So you're not just going to like, say, hand over the reins of this veteran, really important to your team pitching staff, and just say, here, 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 kid, figure it out with them while we're trying to win. That's a tough spot to put him in. So mm-hmm. the question becomes, all right, well, then what does his uh, promotion to the big leagues end up looking like? So if there is an injury or perhaps a trade of one of the two existing guys, then it's a job share. And if he's doing, you know, say 40 to 50% of the catching, maybe a little bit of DH time when he's not, uh, he's getting integrated in that way. That may see that may be sort of the optimal pathway for him to get uh, transition to the majors. So, you know, I think for the time being, you've got this strength at catching. You've got an opportunity to leverage it. You've got this depth that protects you at a position where injuries do happen. Uh, and then you've got an asset that you could potentially use at the deadline to bolster your club for, uh, for the postseason. So, uh, you know, I think if you're the Blue Jays, you're like, this is a good spot. We don't have to feel pressure uh, at all for any of this. Uh, and we have Moreno sitting there to give us a boost at some point when we need it. Do you, is it realistic, barring injury, barring injury, is it realistic that he finishes, he does the whole season in Buffalo and when they get to the expanded rosters again, he comes up? Potentially, yeah. I mean... Look, it does him no good to come up to the big leagues and play once a week. Right. Right. And so the, the, like a lot of the profile, all the other pieces, you can make the case that, you know, his, well, certainly I've heard this from a number of people who are objective, like he, he can hit in the big leagues right now. Right. Uh, and his basic defensive skills, those are, you know, essentially big league ready, but, can he come in and handle a pitching staff, especially when, you know, you're trying to win? Can he go to a, you know, a pitcher who's 10 years older than him and say, no, 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 we're going to throw this pitch and this is why, right? Can, can, he, can, he, can he harness uh, a pitcher who, who's far older than him uh, and who may say, like, why am I going to listen to this no-nothing catcher, right? So those are the, the subtle things that he can help, uh, help himself work through and develop uh, at Buffalo that doing that at the big league level playing once a week probably doesn't do a much. So uh, that's why I think that there is, that's a real potential scenario, John, that he, you know, he's through the minor league season and rosters expand and you bring him up then. Um, and maybe that, maybe that ends up being the best way to transition him without putting too much on him. Because again, uh, it's very tough to win if your catching isn't very, very strong. Uh, and especially when you're competing for the playoffs, but it's tough to put that on a rookie backstop. No, I agree. And so, and so I think that, that, that there's going to have to be some creativity in terms of how he's uh, brought into this, this club. Yeah. The only, you know, the only thing that occurs to me is how old is Kirk? How old is Alejandro Kirk? He's not much older. Mm-hmm. He might be, was he 23? Yeah, they I were, guess. they were, they were, they were at one point uh, working out together at mm. uh, extended camp a few years back. Yeah. Uh, working, working with Luis Hurtado. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think the, the Kirk, the, the Kirk transition is in some ways a good model, right? He came up in 2020 and was just playing, you know, game or two here. The bat was good. So he got some DH time. Uh, and then his workload has progressively built since. And he's developed at the same time to the point where you can make the case that, you know, he's as good a defender 
and I think you could even argue in some ways, maybe even a better defender than Jansen's. You know, I think that Jansen's game calling is probably still more advanced than his. Uh, but Kirk's receiving, you know, there's a reason why he's paired with Alec Manoa. It's because mm-hmm. he's so strong at picking, getting those pitches at the bottom of the zone where Manoa's pitching that the Blue Jays think that's the optimal pairing. You know, Jansen is, is really good on the sides of the zone uh, in terms of his receiving. So, you know, you've seen him get Ryu where, you know, that's where Ryu lives. Uh, but that sort of model, you take sort of Kirk, the way Kirk was was put into the roster and then apply that to Mourinho. That may be the way that this has to happen. And then, you know, Mourinho just, his progress is just so quick and that, you know, he he earns it, then, then great. But you do it at a pace where, you know, the performance dictates and then you have insulation around him so that you don't lose a step. It sounds like the, the key thing in all this, Shai, is managing Mourinho's ambition and his impatience, right? That becomes the real key. Yeah, in some ways, sure. Uh, But I I think that with the good players, look, I think they'll get it, right? And they'll push because because they're talented and because they think they're the best and they want to go out and show it, and and you want them to do that. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily the... The, the, the impediment, you know, like I don't think he's going to get up here and pout or a, a, any of that stuff. No, I, no, I, I, th- yeah. I, I think he can, t- if he, if he was going to pout anywhere, it would mm-hmm. be in Buffalo. If he sees, if he sees, well, why aren't I, why aren't I with the big club? Why aren't I there? Why am I still in Buffalo when they're having success? What do I, what more do I need to prove in AAA baseball to, well, I mean, to be in the major leagues? I mean, that, that's basically every player in AAA, right? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, that – I think they're lucky in terms of, like, he's – by everything that I've heard, and I've talked to a lot of people in the organization about him, like, this is a, a kid with a good head, uh, with a good heart. Like, the, the, the teammate part is mm-hmm. people go out of their way. Uh, when I was in Buffalo earlier this year chatting with him, you know, uh, several teammates uh, walk by and interrupted or like, he's the best. And like, this guy's so good. And like all the hype is true. Like they were going out of their way to make sure that he was getting sort of his, his flowers. So I don't, I don't think that part of it is going to be a problem. I I think the, the real issue is that like, if you end up with three, with all three guys on your roster, I mean, that's just awkward for those three, because how do you find like, I, I I've heard theories like, Hey, just put uh, Moreno in left field or, you know, stick him. You're not going to stick him at third base. Cause you got Chapman there. I just don't know what, I just don't know how you're getting the best out of all three guys. You can have some redundancy with two guys. It's tough with three. Well, he doesn't fit. I know he's played outfield and he's played third base a little bit, but you're right. Third base is traditionally a place where you want some power. And he, that's the one part of his game that is missing, at least so far. And especially from the perspective of what you expect from a catcher. uh, Delgado was a perfect example because he was a guy who had power and was a decent enough catcher, but they wanted him to play. And so he winds up at first base and then occasionally DH, Mm -hmm. but he did it because he hit home runs and he had a great bat. This kid has the batting average bat, but he doesn't have the power bat. So he doesn't really fit anywhere other than the middle infield traditionally. And the Blue Jays, well, all of baseball loves power so much that batting average and getting on base has fundamentally been discounted as an asset. Well, batting average, maybe. I mean, on base percentage, that's still sort of the holy grail, right? Sure. I think think Moreno that battle play and you know, the power thing that power is, I think for him is going to come. I don't think that he's not necessarily going to be a 40 home run guy, but he'll be like a 20 home run guy with a bunch of doubles and a high slug because well, of if you're right, I'll take that. Right. And I, I think that's probably where he ends up. Like I do, I do see a bit of a Russell Martin esque um, sort of offensive profile, but with probably with a higher average mm-hmm. um, uh, than, than Russ had. But, you know, again, 
the I like the creativity that a lot of people are kind of throwing out there. Well, if you juggle this, you juggle that. You know, one of the reasons the Blue Jays have been good is because they've been tight defensively. And to suddenly say, oh, this guy's been catcher who's got like zero experience in the outfield. Hey, let's just, or essentially zero experience. Let's just throw him out there. It'll be fine. No, you can't do that. No. Right. You can't do that. You're not going to put him in the infield. Like, oh, you've, you've played 20 games in the minors at third base. Oh, here, here's the hot corner, the position that nearly destroyed Kevin Biggio. Like that's, that's, these things aren't, uh, aren't that simple <laughs> that, you know, like right. the, this mentality, like, we'll just, I remember the JP Ricciardi era, you know, at that point in time, the way the game was, you know, there was you know, sort of it's within the steroid era. It was just like, just like, can a guy hit? All right. The guy can hit. doesn't matter. We can throw uh, eight stakes out there as long as, as long as they're, as long as they're hit. Right. Like that's not the game today. Right. Like you better be able to catch the ball. You better be tight. You better save your pitches, uh, your pitchers hits. Uh, and you know that's what the Blue Jays have done. That's why when they weren't hitting, they were still able to stay above water yeah. because they played tight games. And when mm-hmm. they got a little bit loose and a little bit sloppy, that's when things really caught up to them. So I, I just don't think there are these magical alternative solutions. Like it's really just using the DH spot creatively. Uh, but outside of that, I'm not sure that you know, there, there's a place or a way for you to carry those three guys on the, uh, on the topic of Buffalo, uh, Nate Pearson, what, yeah. what, what's the latest on the guy that was the hundred mile an hour fastball pitcher. Well, he's still just trying to get it back and trying to find himself a little bit and build up, uh, build up his, uh, his workload capacity. You know, it, we'll see what, uh, what happens with Hyunjin Ryu and, and the imaging that he went for, but, this may be an opportunity for him. Like there's a pathway and potentially a need. So, you know, the, he's in the, he's still in the position where he has to earn his way back onto the roster. The Blue Jays aren't, aren't just sitting there with a roster spot waiting uh, for him waiting. Uh, and, you know, he has to be better than everybody else and, and surpass some people on the depth chart now uh, because of just the way things have turned out. But, all the pieces, all the ingredients are still there for him to be unbelievable and electric. Just, you know, can he put it all together? Well, I was going to ask you about Ryu. Uh, so at, at this moment, we, we aren't really sure what his status is, but he had an abbreviated start yesterday. Um, and there's a danger that he may be sitting for some extended period of time. Um, the other guy that, I'm a little bit concerned about is Barrios who has been intermittently. Okay. But okay. Is about the best he's been this year based on his history. Do you see anything there that is problematic? Yeah. I mean, look, the, the, the lack of swing and miss is definitely something that is unusual for him. And, it seemed that, you know, his fastball has been getting hit this year and, you know, the, uh, the velocity was down in the previous outing and, you know, he hasn't been as effective with that pitch. And when he's not as effective with that pitch, then he can't leverage uh, the breaking ball and the breaking mm-hmm. ball is super important for him. And he's not getting to the changeup as much, and, you know, everything else stops working as well. So can he, or why is the fastball not there? Is he just maybe going through a bit of a dead arm period, which sometimes happens to pitchers, uh, and maybe it's tied to the abbreviated spring and things of that nature? I don't know. Maybe. Um, is there something physical that's going on that that's maybe you know hindering him a bit? You know, if if there is, we don't know about it at this point. So there are a number of sort of potential things. Uh, you know, could this just be, you know, a tweak away, you know, like moving back on the rubber or something along those lines uh, to create some different angles or whatever the case may be, you know, that, that could be the case as well. But, you know, the, he, when he came, when he got to the Blue Jays last year, he had a bit of a dip. Uh, I think there were three rough starts in a row or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of people got in the panic mode. It was like, Oh, let's undo the trade or things of that nature. And then he recovered. It was great. Uh, you know, this could just be a blip uh, because there have been some very good outings 
within it, including recently. Uh, the last one in Anaheim was not good. Um, and and there were some, again, the, the velocity being down and the lack of command weren't great. He got babipped a little bit. So, you know, that, that might have been a factor. But it, it's, it, it, I think right now there are a, a lot of flags that you have to pay attention to. Uh, it could be nothing. It could just be part of an ebb and flow. Or they could be signs of something potentially bigger. Well, injuries are always the concern, and you'd like to you'd like to have an organization, um, a team that has plenty of options. If this happens, then that happens. And so far, they haven't had to dip into the minor leagues for a starting pitcher. I guess they've moved guys back and forth out of the bullpen, but they haven't really brought anybody up. Has, well, that's, have been they brought... that's, that's been Stripling's job, hasn't it, really? Well, yeah, he, I mean... he, in the starting role, but yeah. they've moved guys back and forth out of the bullpen too. Yeah, I mean, they, they pulled uh, briefly Bowden Francis out of the Buffalo rotation and uh, Casey Lawrence out of the Buffalo rotation and brought them into the bullpen here for depth. But yeah, they haven't had to make, uh, they haven't had to reach out for a spot starter because they've had, they have Stripling for that. Um, and, you know, you see the, every time one of these situations arises, uh, you certainly appreciate him more and more uh, because, you know, just think, you know, Sunday or was it uh, Friday, Saturday in Anaheim, he's mm-hmm. he's coming out for the final out of the game and getting a save. And the next day he's back down on the mound and providing some length. Right. Um, so, so they've been fortunate that way. But, you know, if there is something, you know, they're at the point now where they're at their depth and, that's why there's a bit, bit, bit of an opportunity for Pearson uh, and for the other guys, potentially. The, the other thing is, has there been a more seamless transition to Major League Baseball in the last few years than what we've seen with Alex Manoa? Serious, oh, seriously. It's I mean, we, wild. I mean, I, we, we talked about this in, in the, uh, during the labor dispute that, oh, yeah, well, Manoa will be there. He's still a kid. And there, it was taken for granted that he was going to be a cornerstone of the starting rotation. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, oh, was it just in Anaheim that uh, he had uh, you know it was the one year anniversary of his promotion, like one yeah. year in the big leagues, his twenty nine twenty nine start. But it feels like he's been up forever, and it feels like he's embedded. Uh, and you know, in some ways, this is what we expected from Pearson, right? And he's just become the, that guy instead. Yeah, but. It's absolutely been seamless, and you know the one thing is, you know, the, the there is the intriguing split between righties and lefties, and um, how much tougher lefties are on him. And you know, he's certainly working to find a pitch to counter help counteract that. But there's there's just there's nothing not to like about about him. It's it, your seamless is a great word, and you're, there are very few comps uh, for someone who hasn't had a bump, and also someone who had an off season between you know, the beginning and the end where there was time for, uh, you know, other analysts, other mm-hmm. teams, analysts to pick them apart and try to find ways to, uh, to attack them. You know, cause, cause we all have seen in the last, well, the, the amount of time we've watched baseball, we've all seen guys get through the league once, maybe twice. And the third time they get through their disasters, you know, right. that the teams know how to hit them. The teams, you know, know their tendencies. That's that has not happened with this guy, has it? No, I mean he just eliminates right-handed batters. Like if you look at the numbers, uh, you know it's a uh, maybe a three hundred OPS uh, for for right-handed hitters against him. Like it's it's nuts. He just completely negates them. Now it, you know lefties can be tougher on him. Uh, you know, and in that start in Anaheim was I think they were six for fourteen or something along those lines, and the right hand righties were one for eleven. I may have my numbers off, but they were in that range. You know, that's just, it's just un, unreal stuff. And if he can just, just take the lefties down just a tick, you know, he's, he's just going to be giving up nothing. <laughs> well, the, I was going to say the guy he reminds me of, but he really doesn't in any way, shape or form other than his performance. A guy who had, I don't know if he had any minor league games was Dwight Gooden who pitched in the majors when he was 18 years old and was, well, he was Dwight Gooden. He was stunning. Um, I I, I see no resemblance at all, Bob. Well, well, the resemblance resemblance is only that they 
Did, did Dwight couldn't pitch a minor league game? I don't know if he I did. don't think so. I don't remember. Yeah. I know he was 18 when he got when he went to the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> and and he took the game and he took the game by storm. storm yeah. yeah. Well, that's like, what Manoa has done essentially. Now yeah. he's not a similar pitcher. He doesn't throw as hard. He doesn't, you know, his action is different, but his results yeah. are similar. Yeah. I mean, I think look, it's and stats-wise, yeah, you can make the case for, you know, a lot of great things. Like he's he's been statistically performance-wise one of the best pitchers in the, the american league he's certainly one of the best pitchers up, in baseball yeah probably top in, 10 and and if you're looking at young pitchers in the game like you know who who do you like like he's right there with like mcclanahan and you know this just the the elite arms that elite young arms that look poised to dominate for a decade plus it's mm-hmm. it's really remarkable and you know, as much as you sort of try to like temper your expectations, remember that like progress isn't linear and, and all those things. It just, it just seems with him that it, it's just a straight, straight upward line. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't seem to put a stress on his arm. I, I mean, how do we know? But we haven't seen anything yet that has shown any, any weakness in that. He doesn't seem to overthrow. He can get to, he can get it to 97, but usually he's 95, nine, maybe 96. But it looks like it's comfortable. Yeah. Um, I think he throws with such ease. I, I wonder if it's just his size, Shy. He's such yeah. a big man. He is, uh, honestly, he is just a, a mountain of a human being. And yeah, I, I do think his size, like, he has a lot of the stuff to support it. And like, look, sometimes it can be tough for, for, for big guys to kind of keep their mechanics together. Um, and keep that that wind up and and everything all the all the different pieces lined up but it is a pretty clean delivery yeah. it's pretty smooth uh it's not violent it's not herky jerky you don't look at it and say oh man that guy is going to be tough to diagnose right you know i think there's like the blue jays the blue jays are r- really ended up lucky into him at, at 11 there and you know the fact that he was still at 11 you know that that turned out to be a, a very fortuitous turn for this franchise. And, you know, one of the reasons why they're, they're able to be where they are right now. I know we got to go soon, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, Gosman uh, as advertised. And better. <laughs> I mean, like even, even his bad days are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's so clean. It's so consistent. And you just look at it and there's nothing there. You know, like with Robbie Ray, you're always like, you're like, is the old guy going to come out? You know, is, is that, is, is, are the walks, the walk, it's just sort of in the back of your mind. I just thought there with Gosman, like uh, it's just, it's so clean. It's so straightforward. Um, you know, like I, I remember having a couple of people reach out to me when, when the Jays signed up, they said like, this guy is legitimately one of the best people in baseball. Um, just going to be so good in that clubhouse. And he just seems to eat just a, a real nice manner about him. And like Robbie Ray was a lot of those things too. But, you know, it just strikes me that Gosman is one of those guys that you give your, when you give that kind of contract to, that it's easier to put your head on the pillow at night. Well, when he throws a fastball uh, on, on the outside part of the plate and misses by an inch and the umpire calls it a ball, I'm shocked. <laughs> His control is stunning. It's absolutely yep. stunning, and that sinker is a wipeout pitch that guys can't lay off. But, um, yeah, I'm with you, Shy. He's he's everything and more. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we got to get out of here. You you got you got a busy day ahead of you too. So uh, we'll uh, we'll thank you for uh, this one and uh, all the others, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again somewhere down the road. Thanks, pal. Pleasure as always, guys. Be well. Shy Davidi of Sportsnet. We'll come back and wrap it after this. Bob McCowan with John Shannon. We are back. We thank you for waiting. Our thanks to Shai Davidi for uh, being with us, as always. Uh, well, a little surprised by last night's uh, result in uh, in New York or not? Yeah, I, I, I am surprised. Um, but I'm not. Uh, if you're a, a Tampa supporter, I'm not worried. I mean, I, I, I must admit, Bob, there were at least three or four times there were shots of John Cooper on the bench. And I thought of you after the, they, they lost five, nothing to the Maple Leafs in the, uh, in their first game. And last night was what six, two. 
And I didn't see an ounce of panic on John Cooper's face. <laughs> well, no. And I mean, that's, that's why I kept bringing it up yeah. because it was, uh, I, I really, I can't imagine another coach that, that would be less emotionally concerned even temporarily by the fact that his team is getting whacked. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I guess he, I, it's, it's partly his personality, but it's partly because he knows this team and he yeah. knows what they're capable of. And it's one game, whether you lose it two to one or six to two, it doesn't matter. Does it? No, it, do- it doesn't. And, and you know, it's, Hey, it's match play. Right. Um, and, and, and so from, from that perspective, the one guy that I think becomes the barometer for Tampa is is Kucherov. And Kucherov, you could see it on his face. He got burned badly on the first goal of the game when Zabanajad jetted past him. Uh, he His shot wasn't what it normally is. He, he got foiled a lot of times by Shesterkin. Um, I think that uh, we're going to see a different uh, Kucherov in game two. And I suspect Tampa will make it a different style game. That that you know, because everybody, you know, the rest versus rust argument is there. But uh, this is a veteran team. You know, you have you have to win in four games. That means they can only win the series in five now, Bob. In my mind, that's how good they are still. Well, I don't think anybody predicted four straight again. But no, but it's it's one of those things where you look at them and you say they'll be back. Don't worry. You know, they're they're they they the pedigree that they have, the depth that they have. Certainly they miss Braden point, but you know, the, the pedigree they have is one that they can still easily win this series. Having said that, uh, every game I see the Rangers play, they impress me more and more. Yeah. And you have to wonder whether they've got the magic in them. I'm well, still I, not ready to believe that, but, um, every time I see them, they impress me. So they, they have five first round picks over the last five years, the last four years, five first round picks, all playing, all contributing. No fear. Absolutely no fear of anything. There's not an ounce of nervousness in these kids that were drafted in 2017, 18. And I mean, that to me, that depth that, has, that they have created uh, complements some of their superstars. And, and you're right. And I tell you what, they are fast. They are very, very quick, and that's an impressive part of the Ranger team that uh, I, I don't think a lot of us knew about. Well, the one interesting thing that I saw was uh, I saw one of those ridiculous gambling things on <laughs> television, and they, they were talking about the over-under, and I think the total was five and a half last night, which is both teams scored over or under five and a half goals, and the, the numbskulls on TV picked under. And I mean, but there was reason to believe that that was likely. Sure. And, and well, that's the other thing. Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky, you know, will rebound. Of, well, of course he will. Sure. Uh, real quickly. Game two in Colorado. Um, yeah. over I'll, take under the, I'll take the over. <laughs> <laughs> over anything, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It'll be crazy if they want McDavid and, uh, and McKinnon to be on the ice at the same time. It's going to be a circus. Well, um, that's the way it was in game one. Yeah. We'll see if it's that way in game two. We got to get out of here. Thank you, John. See you tomorrow. Yes, sir. Uh, we thank you for watching or listening. See you. Bye-bye. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.